It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This Pie Top for Breakfast episode is brought to you by Yingling Lager. Spread your wings. Elevate your taste. Mike Kruko is set to join me right here on Pine Tar for Breakfast. Longtime big leaguer, longtime major league broadcaster, one time Philly is going to be right here. In the air to left field, going back on it. It is gone! Kevin Francis sends everybody home. Ball there, coming down. down. What up? And welcome to another episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast. I am your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Today, I have my mentor on. That's right, Mike Kruko, longtime Major League broadcaster, but let's be honest here. He made his name as a Major League pitcher, all-star, former Philadelphia Philly, and just overall, honestly, one of my favorite people on earth. Doesn't matter if it's baseball or not. Mike Kruko is absolutely the man, and I am fortunate enough to bring him on. Kruk, what's up, dude? Franny, good to talk ball with you, man. Always. Oh, isn't it great? I mean, I feel like so many times uh, either we text or, or I listen to people talk about baseball. It's about negativity towards you know CBA and all that stuff. We have something positive to look towards, too, and that is – baseball and that is next week for you it's monday for for me it's possibly tonight uh for an inner squad game and and not even calling it but just being around it like just give me your first thoughts how stoked are you to be back well uh, you know it's amazing how much you miss something when it's taken away from you and uh when something as big as baseball which has been my life and you know i've been walking around in a fog here for the last several months a lot of anger over, you know, so many things, you know, that we have no control over. And then as much as, as you know, as, as, you know, of last week, I wasn't sure this was going to happen. Uh, it just seemed like there were some, so there, there were some, some pitfalls that I didn't know if we could work ourselves through, but now I'm, uh, I, 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 I'm starting to sniff the finish line and, uh, and I can speak for everybody here and on our broadcast team with the Giants. We're all really excited, and uh, you know, it, it, we just feel like little kids. We're getting Christmas here in July, and uh, and that's about the best way I can sum it up. We're so excited. I, I mean, excitement is is one thing, and and being able to see how guys are dealing with this because there's you know Michael Kopech of the uh, the Boston Red Sox. He he stepped aside, said he opted out, whether he was going to be on the team or not. You know. Uh, based on anxiety and that's something that you know I think a lot of players that they're showing the human side of this Uh, for you guys with Buster and uh, the incredible news of of him and Kristen uh, adopting the twin girls that are in uh, the NICU right now I mean it's incredible it's a hat tip to those guys that do it because it is a different year and it's like one of those where you just appreciate for me it's appreciating the game it's appreciating the people that are within the game and if they opt out it's their that's they're 
absolute right, and I applaud him because it is a difficult decision. Like, what, where, not saying where are you at on that, but like just your your thoughts on some of those guys. Well, as a player, I mean, you never know when your career is going to be over, and uh, you know, you you tend to hoard the time that you have and and respect it and nurture it, and you know, you try everything in your in your capabilities to extend your time, but you never know when it's over. And when you are faced with a decision because of a virus, because of a disease that uh, could affect you or your family or your new twin babies, um, you know, you, you can imagine how difficult that is to make the decision to say, I'm not going to play. And uh, I know that was extremely difficult for Buster. Uh, He and his wife, Kristen are extremely special people. Their involvement with the uh, pediatric uh, cancer awareness and uh, the money that they've raised for the Benioff Hospital has just been unbelievable. I mean, he's one of those rare guys, and she is one of those rare gals that, when they say that they're going to be a part of something, they they roll up their sleeves and they dig they dig the the foxhole right along with the doctors and the researchers. Um, they inspired my wife and I to get involved with uh, childhood cancer, and we're involved with Northern Nevada Childhood Cancer Foundation here in Reno, and. Uh, it's you know it, it's it's a worthy it's a worthy cause to turn your back on the passion the physical passion of your life and that's baseball mm-hmm. it has to be something that 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 serious that would cause you to make that decision that I'm not going to play baseball and everybody who has made that decision you know has not been it hasn't been easy for them um, it hasn't been easy for their fan base to watch, a, you know, some of these guys go out. But I applaud them. I applaud them because of their concerns for their family, um, because of this virus. So as as tough as it may be, um, it is uh, uh, for a ball player to give up even one game to play. You know, I, I commiserate with them, and uh, I don't know if I could do it. I ho- I'm just glad I was never really faced with it. Yeah. To be honest with you, no, for sure. I think a lot of us have asked that, you know, would, what would you do? And I was like, I think I'd have to play because I don't know. But then it, it you know, so welcome to the, the pediatric cancer uh, uh, work that you're doing because, you know, we've been doing that for years through DJ's uh, foundation and 19 for Life. And um, it, it is, it, it's something that you look back and you're going, man, I kind of did that with my brother, right? I mean, I was kind of self-quarantining all the time based on the fact that like I wanted to be able to see him so if I was gonna be able to see him I couldn't get sick <laughs> and, and now you you take into those if you're like if he was around you know would I still and it, it, that would be the difficult decision because family takes over right I mean more than anything and, and, and we're seeing that with so many players well it's it's really why we play I mean it's it's um it's everything it justifies turning your back on on baseball for a year. I mean, think about it. it. It's, it's, it's crazy, but like you said, and, and I totally agree with me and I applaud these guys because uh, I know how difficult that decision must've been, but, um, and I'll support all of them. Oh, hundred percent. Hey, you know, for someone that's, uh, I'm definitely not calling you old on this, but done this for a long time, as far as a major league broadcaster, uh, what, I mean, you don't find a lot of negatives in anything. And so I'm going to ask you, what do you find as being the most difficult part of this season uh, in doing games remotely uh, w- with you and your partner, Dwayne Kuyper, uh, who has four less homers than you in your career? Anyway, I had to say that. 
<laughs> well, I appreciate that. Um, well, I think that the most difficult thing that we're all faced with is we're not going to have fans in the stands. I don't really remember what it felt like when I was playing rookie league in Bradenton, Florida, and we had nobody to watch us. I knew it was quiet. Construction <laughs> league, you know, nobody there. It was quiet. But to even consider doing it at the big league level in a large stadium when you're so accustomed to having that stadium filled, especially here in San Francisco where, you know, they, the support that the fans give the Giants is just incredible. You, you almost take it for granted because that energy that the fans bring every night is there. And now it's not going to be there. You know, so when the schedule came out for the 60 games season, there was a lot of stink that got raised in Bay area when we looked at the schedule and it turned out well, the Giants are playing the Dodgers 10 times. Seven of them are in Los Angeles. And immediately everybody goes, oh, that's not fair. What's, what's all that? But then you start thinking about it. So, well, wait a second. There's not going to be any fans in the stands. Yeah. So what is the real home field advantage? Well, you get to hit last, period. <laughs> so I think that's the weirdest thing that's going to happen to all of us. And uh, it's something that we already miss, and we haven't even been to our first game yet. Yeah, it's at, like – trying to add that energy because you you've done so many giant relevant giant dodger games and it doesn't mean like you know the games that the giants are out of it or the dodgers are out of it and then that hasn't been in recent years but the added energy that the crowds have it it plays with you right i mean as a broadcaster you you want to be the same energy all the time but you can't explain the adrenaline rush you get when the fans are going nuts it was the greatest thing as a player when you were there and, uh, you know, you got it going. When you were a pitcher and you got into a rhythm and there's a full house and, you know, they, there's applause, there's a positive reaction to every strike that's called, every play that's made. And it just, it just fuels you on the mound. It fuels you in the field or in the batter's box. It's one of the real magic things about, about our game, about any professional sport. It's the compliment of sound that the fans give you the fact that they're re reacting at the same instant you're reacting and it 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 just sugarcoats the, the moment it, it's um you know we, we were watching golf yesterday uh no sunday and uh there was a there was a, a playoff murakama and uh and justin thomas and uh and uh, so justin thomas has got this putt and uh it's about 45 footer and he knocks it in it was awesome yep but it was quiet. It was dead quiet. Yeah. There was no reaction. There was no roar of the crowd, which had there been people there on Sunday, it would have been deafening. And then Marcama gets up there and he knocks in about a 25 footer on top of it to keep the thing alive and yeah. go to another hole of sudden death. Dead silence. But that dead silence might've helped out Morikawa. Well, I, you know what? I, it, it may have, <laughs> but you know what? You're so accustomed to the roar. Yeah. It, when it was not there, it just felt like, whoa, what's up with that? Well, now I'm thinking, okay, now here we are. We're playing the Dodgers on the 23rd, and you're in L.A., and all of a sudden, you know, you, you get the bases loaded in the bottom of the ninth inning. Giants have a one-run lead. There's nobody out, and Tony Watson comes in, and he strikes out the side on nine pitches. Hmm. Well, there's got to be a celebration. There's got to be some noise. <laughs> You know, I mean, I, it's just, I don't know how we're going to deal with that. So I, 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 that's the one thing that's uh, the weirdest to me. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting because I brought up golf a ton as far as uh, on this podcast. 
because I feel like we've seen the younger players. We've seen the – I'm never going to call those guys average, but if you look at, like, standings within the PGA Tour, the FedEx Cup, the average golfer is playing better now, and I think a lot of it has to do with – there's pressure, number one, to perform every week or every day. But there's that added pressure of the fan and maybe that one guy or, or person that might get in your ear a little bit and, you know, anger you, you know, just enough to get you off your game. Now they don't have that. And it's like it, we're seeing consistently better play by those guys. And I wonder on the baseball side, is that going to be the similar, you know, type thing is without the fan, that added pressure, there's pressure already in the game of baseball, no doubt about it. But that added pressure of the fan, that, that adrenaline rush that you get with the fan, without that being there, is the younger guy, is that, you know, the the utility guy, do they step up their game? You know, it, it, it's a question. Or the uh, the other one would, would be someone that, I mean, you, you played late into your 30s. Without the fans, could you, you know, would it be harder to pitch without the fan? Right, if you're an older guy, because that added adrenaline rush, and it's a question I think will be answered in 60 games. But it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you know, I I, 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 I know for me that you know my last couple of years were kind of odd because I couldn't throw in between starts. I couldn't even play catch. Wow. I couldn't even put my seatbelt on or comb my hair or wipe my uh, Which is great nose. Hair too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you had to see it right now. Uh, it's like I combed it with a rock. But you know what? It's <laughs> it's you you count on it. You count it on that adrenaline. You count on walking out there and having something all of a sudden give you that that energy jolt that overcomes that pain in your shoulder or your elbow or your knee or whatever. And I think as an older player, I think you need that a little bit more. I don't think it's a distraction. I don't think that some guys play better with more people or I, I always thought you played better with more people, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, some guys, who knows why some guys can't make it the big leagues and maybe the fans are an issue, but I know when the game starts, you know, you get so locked into the game, you don't even sometimes hear the crowd um, except to enhance a moment. Um, and it doesn't become a distraction. I don't know how it's going to be. I know one thing, Jeff Samarja, who played in the game between the uh, White Sox and uh, the Orioles when they, um, in Baltimore had to, uh, there was some civil unrest and they played the game without any fans. He said it was the weirdest thing ever. He didn't want to ever do it again. Hmm. And uh, he just, just said it was odd. There was there was nothing comfortable about it. It upset the rhythm and the timing of, of the moment for everybody. It's how much we really rely on the fans. And when it wasn't there, it was odd. But look, you do it for 60 games, you're going to get used to it, I guess. I just hope we never have to be faced with this again. More with Mike Kruko, longtime big league announcer, former Philly, former all-star. Right here on Pine Tower for breakfast, right after this. Tap into your inner eagle and spread your wings with Yingling traditional lager. A bold amber color, near 200 years in the making, all-American brew. So plug in, rock out, and let the night take flight. Yingling traditional lager. Spread your wings. Spread my wings and let it ride. DJ Young Son, Pennsylvania. Please drink responsibly. Welcome back to Pine Tar for Breakfast. I'm your host, Kevin Franzen, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. I'm still joined by Mike Kruko, longtime big leaguer, longtime big league announcer, former Philly, 
I, I think we, the other thing, I mean, like we, we go throughout the, you know, seasons and we, we kind of adjust. I mean, obviously with you for with having Boach there for a while, uh, you know, Felipe Alou and, and uh, Dusty Baker previously. So, you, you know, their managing style. Right. I think that for us this year, especially going from Cap to Girardi, it's going to be interesting to see how people and managers react to this year the 60 games the sprint do they let a guy extend out at all you know when do they let that that pitcher extend out at all uh are you interested to see how how guys especially the the managers are going to be you know going about their business as far as managing a game well you had Gabe Kapler last year and uh as a rookie manager in the big league level I mean I'm sure he learned a lot um I don't think there would have been a better guy to follow Bruce Bochy given the set of circumstances that has uh, surrounded this year. The fact that we haven't played since March and the fact that we have had no baseball for two-thirds of the season is something that is so beyond weird that you know, you, you need people to keep energy and you need people to keep a positive outlook alive. And I think that's what Gabe Kapler was born to do. I think that what he has done coming into San Francisco uh, has been truly remarkable. Um, and, you know, there was controversy when he had his first press conference. Oh, yeah. uh, they didn't make it easy for him. No. Um, and you know what? He stood tall at every step of the way, every bend in the road. And he addressed it. He did it in an articulate fashion. Um, and when this all started to come together, um, you know, he kept he 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 brought people in with with an incredible enthusiasm. We had a good camp going. You know, I was really curious as to see what type of spring training that the Giants would have without Bruce Bochy, who'd been there for ten years or eleven years or whatever it was. You know, he had his set way. Everybody knew what was going to happen. There were no surprises in that camp. And that's exactly how Bochy wanted it. He wanted it benign. He didn't want headlines. He just wanted to come in, get your work, keep an even temperament, and move on. Now you have Gabe Kapler come in, who not only comes in with a different philosophy, but he comes in with 13 new coaches. Well, 12 new coaches and Ron Wotus. 13 <laughs> coaches. Whoa, whoa. They allow you to dress out six. So that means that seven of the coaches that are going to be in the big league team they're going to be in the clubhouse or up in the stands when the game's going on. So this has never been done before. And we're going, okay, not only that, but how much big league time have all these guys had? Not much. Mm-hmm. Not much. So how are the established guys on this Giants team going to handle this? How was Buster Posey? How was Evan Longoria and Brandon Crawford and Brandon Belt and Hunter Pence and Pablo Sandoval and Johnny Cueto? And Jeff Samarja, how are these guys going to handle some guy who last year was at Portland State? How are they going to handle listening to these guys? And you know what? They pulled it off. They created an enthusiasm at that in that clubhouse and on that field that was efficient. It held their attention. It caught their imagination. And we, because of it, were watching this camp go down. And the energy was good. We're thinking, you know what? They're going to prove a lot of people wrong. People who said that this team isn't going to win, they're going to have a good season. We truly believe that. And when the March when March ended on the 16th or whatever day it was that shut it down because of COVID-19, 
now how do you keep the energy how do you resurrect yeah. that energy how do you how do you keep people involved how do you keep them going when there's no guarantee you're going to play there's no set deadline to when it's going to start you got guys completely in the fog completely in limbo how are you going to pull it all together well you know what Gabe Kapler did that and not only that in the process he brought the fan base in San Francisco he brought them right around and now they're they like this guy now they want to see what he's going to do and I think that that uh, as we go in and we get closer to step to, to the first game next Monday against the A's that is one of the really great stories that 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 we're we can't wait to read and uh and I didn't think it would even be possible, but that's how many hurdles Kepler has 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 ran up and stepped over, and uh, and he's got guys believing it, and he's got a fan base believing it. So I don't even know what the question was, but we kind of got off on a tangent here. Well, but I'm pretty excited you, about what's going on. You you answered it, and I would agree. I mean, like what Gabe has done. Look, he didn't win over a lot of people here, and and I think you you've played here in Philadelphia. Uh, you know that you, you, you got to just put your head down, grind, and, and, and work, and, and let every all your actions do the talking, not the words. And I think he didn't do anything wrong. It just, it, it just happens. <laughs> now, his style, for me, at the beginning of the year, I'm going, okay, the Giants may be lacking in talent all over, you know, as far as 162, but then you see things start to, to go and you're going, you know what? The way Cap works and the way that his intensity is always there, it is perfect more than anything. Like if you talk about perfection as far as energy for a 60-game season, he has it. Now, it, it, it's, you know, obviously the players in between the lines are going to make the whole thing, but I feel like it, they do have the right guy with the right temperament, with the, the intensity level that is going to, it's always going to be there. There's no no doubt about it. Well, and they have the right situation. The right situation being that your starting pitchers off the get-go don't have to go more than four innings. They're not expected to go more than four innings. And that may be two times through the rotation. If you look at every position, every position on the team, there's a platoon. There are players there that form a natural platoon. The only guy who's going to get probably the most playing time without having to worry about a platoon is Longoria. But that's, I think, the way that Farhan Zaidi and Scott Harris and Gabe Kapler want to go about doing it. Not just this year. It may be something that they do a lot of in the future. We're going to see baseball here in the Bay Area that we haven't seen. We haven't seen before. Now, obviously, because of the shortened prep time that that, that, that Major League Baseball players are having this year, that, that kind of requires that your starting pitcher – can be strong enough for 50 or 60 pitches his first time through as he builds his arm strength up to 100. But I, I don't know if that's going to, I don't know that's going to change when they get to that 100 pitch level. I don't know how, I mean, because they have so many more players that are available for the first couple of weeks and for the first month, that just may be what, it, what we see the entire, the entire 2020 season. Very, very unique experience that we're all going to be witnessing here. And it's, going to be baseball that i think a lot of us aren't hey i wanted to we, ask we, you, we won't recognize I, I wanted to ask you because you know playing in philadelphia in 1982 you get traded over for uh from the cubs for one of my favorite players of all time actually people of all time i didn't know him as a player as dickie knowles uh, but <laughs> my favorite thing is to look at your guys' roster 
and it is absolutely loaded, loaded with guys. And uh, like a, a team that had that much talent, you're talking Pete Rose at first, Manny Trio at second, Yvonne De Jesus, who was a teammate of yours in Chicago, got traded later on, obviously in that offseason, same offseason. Schmitty, Sarge, Gary Maddox, <laughs> uh, Vuk was there in, in, in right field. I mean, Greg Gross, who, who might be the, one of the greatest pinch hitters of all time. Tug McGraw. I mean, you're talking, you had so many guys. A team like that in a 60-game season, could you imagine what you guys could have done? Man, well, I mean, that year was so much fun. I mean, we had come from, I had come from Chicago, which was going through uh, the cell of the club and, uh, you know, the Wrigley family. You know, they, we, my rookie year, we lost Mr. and Mrs. Wrigley in the same year. And Bill Wrigley took over the club. And he wasn't really a baseball guy. Then he went through a divorce and he went through inheritance taxes and they started taking money out of the organization. And by the time 1981 ended, you know, if it wouldn't been for the 1981 strike and 51 games we didn't play, we'd have lost 120 games. We were horrible. So to get traded to the Phillies, which was the cream, the elite of the National League East, was an incredible thrill for me because I was going to a place that was expected to win, not expected to lose 100 games. And uh, to me, that was exhilarating. And none of that, but I was playing with a bunch of cartoons, some of the most well-known baseball players in the history of the game with, as you mentioned, Rose, Steve Carlton, Doug McGraw, Sparky Lyle, uh, and Mike Schmidt, and, and everybody on that team. It, it was just such a cool vibe walking in that clubhouse because of the expectation. I, I, I love that year. It was so much fun. And I got to know Philadelphia. I got to, to, to know the surrounding area. We lived in New Jersey uh, over in Marlton, and uh, we, 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 we would have stayed there the rest of our lives. We loved it. Everything about the experience. And when I got traded following the season, I'll never forget it. Inquirer comes out with a day and said, there's only four untouchables on this Giants team, or this uh, Phillies team. Schmidt, Carlton, uh, I think he said Yvonne DeJesus. I thought I was going to say Pete Rose, but it was I think it was Yvonne DeJesus and me. Four of us. And the next day, I get traded to the Giants. And I was pissed. I didn't want to leave that team because I knew how good we were and how, how yeah. good we were going to be. Had it not been for Mike Schmidt going down with an oblique injury in 82, we would have, we would have won that division. As it is, we, wa- we lost it with, a, you know, with two days left in the season to the Cardinals that went on to win the World Series in 82. And then in 1983, when I got shipped off to San, San Francisco, um, Joe Morgan came in with Al Holland. That was the deal. And uh, I went over with C.L. Penninger and Mark Davis, who's one of the best I've ever met in this game. I love Mark Davis. I never even met C.L. Penninger. I never even saw him. He never got out of A-ball. But <clears throat> anyway, the Phillies went to the World Series in 83. That was the only time in my life that I couldn't watch the playoffs wow. because it hurt so bad that I wasn't there. And... Uh, and it was just a tough thing for me. The playing with those guys, they were so good. They were so professional. And given the challenge of what the the, the players are being faced with today, playing a 60-game schedule, I think that they would have been wonderful. I think they would have addressed the situation. I think they were so disciplined. Hmm. I mean, look, they all enjoyed – we would have a choir practice, which is what we call just a gathering. We didn't sing, but we would have a few beers and we'd talk ball and whatnot. But after about June – first that didn't happen guys got back to the room they got to sleep they knew 
the long haul of the season was such that they had to discipline themselves. They were so good at that. And, uh, and they would have done whatever it took to win or at least be competitive and give themselves a chance to win had they been given the, the challenge of a 60-game schedule. I mean, it's incredible. I, 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 I'm just looking at the roster going, this is a joke. Like, you bring it up. Schmidt getting hurt ruins that. But, I mean, at the same time, you're going, that's baseball, right? I mean, for yourself, you, you, if you stay, there's a possibility that you, you win a World Series. You don't. They do, and it, it, it just it just happens that way. Hey, real quick, I know uh, you got to run and get your hair cut, so you look good, as you always do, with the great moss. No, uh, I'm afraid they're going to close. i got to get a haircut. Yeah, I know. So, question I have for you is, could you play a, a, a quick game? It's real quick. It's called Waffle or Not. And if it's a hitter, waffled you, or he didn't, if you owned him. And I'm going to give you a couple. you got to be able to say Waffle or he didn't waffle you. Okay. Okay. I'm going to start out with Mike Schmidt. Uh, you know, it's funny. He waffled me early. Then I got to the Phillies in 82. I'm sitting next to Warren Brewster in the, uh, during batting practice. And I said, how do you pitch this SOB? He goes, hanging sliders. Can't hit them. I said, really? He goes, watch. He goes, there'll be guys at third base, less than two outs. Somebody will hang on a slider and he'll pop it up every time. And guess what? The next year I got traded, I threw him nothing but hanging sliders. I always considered myself a connoisseur of the hanging slider. And and he didn't hit it. Oh. And I didn't throw him another fastball till it was the last time he was coming to San Francisco. He had announced he was going to quit at the end of the year, and I threw him a fastball, and he hit it off the wall. Oh, that's unbelievable. But the hanging slider, it was my best friend against Schmidt. I I, I, I don't know. I'd say it's about even. Um, I'm going to say you got him. He, he was 15 for 70 off of you, and, yes, he was 5 for 9 that first year, double, triple homer. But he has 776 OPS, and for Mike Schmidt, that's just average, okay? Because I'm 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 gonna go with uh, you didn't get waffled by Mike Schmidt. Well, thank you, Warren Brewster. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, what about Andre Dawson? Wore me out. Okay. If I if I could keep him in the ballpark, I was a happy boy. All I would do is throw him a pitch, whatever it was, and then go back up third. Oh, that's amazing. I'm gonna say Killed yeah, me. he waffled you. He was he uh, killed. 25 for 78, six homers, 982 OPS. Uh, I don't want to go there because I I don't really like the guy, but that's all right. Uh, What about Pete Rose? Same thing with Pete Rose. Early in the year, uh, early in the career, he was hard on me. I know he had over 300 against me, but early in the year, early in my career, and I faced him a lot, uh, you know, he was so good at hitting whatever I threw him. And those are the type of hitters that there were four guys that really gave me problems. Rose, Buckner, Bill Madlock, and Tony Gwynn, and they're all essentially the same guy. Great balance hitters. Whatever speed you gave them, you couldn't get them off their back leg. Or if you did, their hands still stayed back. Gwynn and, and Buckner, they were good front foot hitters. But after Rose, after you know he got to a certain age, I, I could throw him with fastballs on the hands, and he did And then that was all I'd throw him. And he didn't hit me as bad, you know. But there was for a time, I think he was in like 400. I think he wound up hitting about 312 or 318 or something. But, but, Again, you know, he played till he was in his 40s, so I kind of took advantage of that. Oof. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm not going to say he waffled you completely. That's more of like the push, but he hit 340, 810 OPS. 340, that's a waffle. He kicked yeah, okay. my ass. I didn't want to go there, but, I mean, it was just all singles. A lot but of I singles. bet he hit – I bet there was a time when he was hitting 600 off me. Honest to God. I yeah, he had that. a 7 for 10 year against you. 
Yeah. I won't go He's there. Gone. But that's all right. Uh, last one, uh, the late Gary Carter. Uh, I know I'm in his book. Uh, you know, I was learning a change up and I threw one change up. Uh, just like, oh, I'm going to throw him a change up. Hits out of the ballpark in Montreal. <laughs> it was the last change up I threw that year. It was like, screw this. But I think I had pretty good success with him. He had a hard time with the breaking balls that I had. Uh, 153, 442 OPS. You owned him. That is straight ownage from you. In 1978, he hit that homer. Nothing after that. Nothing. You were the man. Yeah, well, yeah, but I'm in his book, though. That's all know? right. That's not getting waffled. Like, getting waffled is is Andre Dawson numbers. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Crook, I appreciate you coming on Pintar for breakfast. It was awesome catching up. I'm excited for you to be able to call games this year, and uh, we'll catch up as we always do. All right, Franny, thanks for having me. Love to Amanda, and good luck with that uh, new baby coming, and uh, hopefully we will see you soon. All right, Can't buddy. wait. Baseball's back, brother. See ya. Mike Kruko, kind enough to join me right here on Pine Tar for breakfast, and he is, for me, the best. He's been my mentor uh ever since uh, before I was even uh, in the Giants organization. So the first time I met him was through his son, and we've always been close. Um, so I'm very fortunate to have a relationship with him. Uh, we always shared our, our Philly stories and his love and passion for Philadelphia, the city of Philadelphia. Actually, the city's in, in, in New Jersey as well because uh, that's where we currently are. Anyway, this Pine Tar for Breakfast episode is brought to you by Yingling Lager. Elevate your taste. Spread your wings. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Pine Tar for Breakfast. Until next time, which, by the way, I'm going to call a inter-squad game tonight. That's right. That's right. Baseball and me combined. We're back. Peace. Kevin Fritz is out of here. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.